Welcome to the Hub Crawl, a weekly roundtable podcast discussing all things Disney. I'm Eric. And I'm Tag. Each episode, we invite two guests to bring a question and talk about one of our favorite things, Disney. This week, we want to welcome Alex to the show. Alex is the social media manager for DL Weekly. Uh, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your show. Happy to have you, Alex. Uh, also joining us this week is social media concierge, Bryn. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. We are surrounded by social media people, Eric. We are in trouble. This episode is going to go everywhere, apparently. Yeah, yeah. All the things that we don't really know how to do. That It's great. <laughs> we are out of our element. Hopefully, there's not too many social media questions for us tonight. But, well, thank you all for joining us. Let's start off with our first question from Eric. All right. We finally have a time frame. Disney released their kind of time frame for Tiana's Bayou Adventure as late 2024. This is the replacement for Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain in Disneyland is located in Critter Country, and it's also located in Frontierland in the Magic Kingdom. Neither of these places are explicitly um, New Orleans-related, so what, if anything, do you think Disney is going to do about the distance of a Louisiana ride in another land? Let's start out with you, Alex. All right. So starting with the hard question, here we go. <laughs> so I think Disney will keep the Critter Country area and incorporate the new attraction into it. They can easily say that with all the Bayou Critters in the attraction, they can have it in Critter Country. And technically, it's a perfect transition between lands between New Orleans Square because you have Princess and the Frog set in New Orleans and then also, you know, transition to Critter Country. I also think it would cost way too much money for Disney to get rid of Critter Country, get rid of Winnie the Pooh and to retheme the land. If I had to say, though, I would get rid of Critter Country, entirely get rid of Winnie the Pooh, mm. and extend Orleans Square, and also make a Princess and the Frog restaurant, such as like Tiana's Place from the movie. What do you think, Tag? Well, I mean, I almost 100% agree with you. I think that obviously some type of Princess of the Frog restaurant would be wonderful. That area of the park. I mean, there's a lot of restaurants and stuff in the New Orleans Square area, but I mean... Hungry Bears right there, too. So we'll have to see how they work all that out. But I think what will happen is they probably, you know, Splash Mountain is right next to the Haunted Mansion, which is New Orleans Square. So it's it's not hard for them to just kind of move that line just a little bit over and kind of encompass that and just call that New Orleans Square. And you could keep Winnie the Pooh kind of in Critter Country, or you could rename it some type of 100-acre woodland or something. I don't know, whatever they want to do with it. Uh, but that's that's what I think will probably happen, or or maybe they'll just leave it and hope nobody notices that uh, Tiana is, you know, that you've crossed that imaginary line and gone into it. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Uh, Bryn, what do you think? I think that because the Bayou section of the Princess and the Frog movie is so animal-focused, that it doesn't take a lot of retheming to leave it right where it is, because the, it will depend entirely on the storyline of the ride. But if they stick to something, say, around Mama Odie, that section of the original movie has a lot of animals in it. And thinking about that scene where Mama Odie is singing and it's very joyful and all the animals are singing around them, that's a perfect thing to put like in the riverboat scene towards at the end. So I'm not sure I see a conflict here. There's a good transition from New Orleans Square into the Critter Country theme. And there are a lot of animals in this movie. 
and Tiana is a human who interacts with the animals. So it's it's a good move from one to the other. I just don't want all the original animatronics to leave. That's what's going to take me off because I really enjoy getting to that riverboat scene and seeing all those things I saw in America Sings when I was a little kid. And then under my breath, smugly singing Ta-Ra-Ra-Boom-Dee-Ay and feeling like a <laughs> Disney geek. <laughs> what do you think? I, I agree. Disneyland seems like less of a, an issue because the proximity works going into critter country is you could, you could make that a bayou sort of area uh, without, without that being a, a huge deal. You don't have to change out a ton of the animals. I think that's going to work out great. Maybe make hungry bear into a Tiana's place. I, I don't think you even need to do that. Um, but you, if you did like, that would be fun. Um, the Magic Kingdom is tougher, and I know I'm the uh, the the lone Walt Disney World person on this uh, <laughs> this episode, as usual. And the the time oh, who invites the guest? <laughs> who invites the guest, Eric? <laughs> Teg, it's Teg. Oh, I mean, fifty fifty, <laughs> right? What? Usually, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, the time frame in Frontierland doesn't quite work already and it's difficult so Frontierland in in walt disney world and i'm sorry everybody but you're you're gonna get a little of extra uh, theme park geek here there is a a time frame that tries to kind of link between the liberty square portion into the Frontierland portion there's not this giant arch over Frontierland as you enter but when you move from the establishment of our country into Frontierland. We don't have the big arch like you do at Disneyland. You just kind of move into it and you start to see dates on buildings that start in the late 1800s and then move throughout the land as you go. As you progress through Frontierland, you enter into that portion that's a little bit southwest. It's a little bit Spanish. You've got the the Pecos Bill area. The, The time frame keeps moving. It doesn't quite work all the way. I mean... 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, all of these things kind of blend together into these different areas around Frontierland, around the rivers of America, around Tom Sawyer Island. And whether it's the southwest of America, the deep south of Splash Mountain, whether it's, uh, you know, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, further west, representing Monument Valley, it's all kind of in the same area. So what I think could be interesting is maybe reframing the idea of Frontierland and saying this is like old-timey America area. I, I don't know how they do that, but it can still fit even if you kind of change the locale a little bit. Maybe it's time to abandon Frontierland or maybe it's time to recontextualize Frontierland and say, you know, Frontierland isn't just the old west of westerns. Maybe it's time to change the flavor a little bit and put a little bit of extra information out there and just kind of make it a South Southwest Western late 1800s area. I I think it can work even if it doesn't quite fit that moving through time theme that that Frontierland currently has. I think they can pull it off. Eric, I appreciate you explaining how Liberty Square transitions to Frontierland and Magic Kingdom, because I did not know that, that the buildings with the different years, so that's great. I'm sure that there's an episode of the Supreme Resort that might help me with that, but... Oh, my. Yes, there is. We have a three-hour episode on Frontierland from last year, uh, where I go into the early 1800s, uh, like Diamond Horseshoe Saloon, that's that's St. Louis, and you progress through the the South and the Southwest. Um, Yeah, we, we spent almost 
not enough time. I'm not going to say too much time. It's all it's all well worth your listen. Um, it, it was a great episode, but uh, yeah, it was Frontierland, um, East versus West, and uh, not to spoiler it, but who who won? Well, that is directly spoiling it, Teg. Um, yeah, Disneyland won, despite every bit of effort I put into it, it. Disneyland still won. So okay, fine, fine. We don't have an arch that reads Frontierland. Okay, all right. That wraps up our first question. Alex, what's your question for this week? All right. So my question is going to be a little more simple than that first question. So my question is, what is your favorite scent at a Disney park? Now, this can be anything pretty much simple from an attraction scent to just walking around Disney. Just anything that you smell at a Disney park that you just remember any Disney trip. So what about you, Tag? What's your favorite scent at a Disney park? Oh, see, now you've reframed it in my mind. Mm. Uh, I mean, I feel my my initial reaction when you say scent and Disneyland, the very first thing that comes to mind for me is that bromine smell of Pirates of the Caribbean. I feel like anybody who's ever ridden that attraction knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's the same no matter which Pirates you ride, Disneyland, Disney World... Disneyland Paris, I've not read the other ones, but I've read those three, and all had the same smell. Uh, it is that bromine smell. I will say that we did put some bromine in our hot tub at one point, and I loved the fact that it smelled like I was at Pirates of the Caribbean. So that was awesome, uh, because they use the bromine in place of chlorine for Pirates. Other scents that I think are really amazing is that smell outside of the ice cream shop on Main Street that they're artificially pumping out into the thing, that kind of waffle cone ice cream smell. Amazing. Of course, churro. I mean, there's lots of things that have great smell at Disney, at Disney parks, but I think the water at Pirates, I mean, they even sell, there's there's shops that sell candles and everything else that smell like it. So obviously, it resonates with a lot of people. Bryn, what is your scent of choice at a Disney park? Well, I think the popcorn smell is a smell that's just everywhere at Disneyland for me. But there's also this smell of of happy kid and sunscreen that I associate with Disneyland, sort of tired, happy kid and sunscreen. And, you know, that could be a bad smell, but I think it's because it's such a happy place, it always feels like a happy smell. What about you, Eric? Sunscreen is a great example. I love that. Yeah, that immediately, just thinking about sunscreen, I can smell it right now. Um, I can also smell, literally, in this room, is a wax melt that it's a riff off the Polynesian Village Resort I love the smell in the, the main lobby of the resort. It has this amazing tropical scent. Just smelling it here, I can close my eyes and go back to one of my favorite resorts in the Walt Disney World property. You can buy you can buy candles. These folks don't sponsor us, so we won't belabor the point. But yes, like Teg said, you can buy some of these these artificial scents. I don't care that it's pumped into the room. I absolutely love it. It literally transports my mind to this place, one of my favorite places on earth. Alex, what's your take? Okay, so if you don't already know, I am a huge Haunted Mansion fan. If you're listening to DL Weekly or on the Discord chat for DL Weekly, I'm a huge Haunted Mansion fan. have a whole bedroom dedicated to Haunted Mansion. I'm actually getting a tattoo tomorrow of the Haunted Mansion wallpaper. So I'd have to say the old musty scent from the Haunted Mansion. It's kind of a weird scent to describe. A lot of people don't really smell it, but... I actually pulled this from Reddit and quoting somebody saying a distinctly cold smelling scent, musty, dusty, heavy, 
notes of mildew, dark wood, tiny hints of smoke, and maybe even dried eucalyptus or clover. So that is my scent of choice. It's kind of just walking in there, just the air conditioning, how dark it is in there. It just smells like an old haunted house. I don't know how they do it. I've heard that it's the oil from the mechanisms from the Omnimover. I also heard it's just from the dust, but just the Haunted Mansion in general. I just love that scent when you walk in. Well, Alex, it's all that uh, remains that people bring I, in with their loved ones. Oh I, I wasn't going to go there, but I am also, if you don't know, I am also a funeral director who is in Minnesota. Oh. I'm actually moving to California in September, but I did read on Reddit that people say that it's the smell of the cremated remains that people spread on the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But I honestly have smelled cremated remains and that's not how they smell. But um, so, yeah, we have the expert on the Haunted Mansion and cremated remains. Right. There we I mean, go. Don't quote me on that, but. I don't think that's the smell I'm going for. <laughs> I mean, I've heard the Haunted Mansion definitely has a smell. And as you were kind of describing it, and I was imagining standing in that line before you get on the Doom buggy, uh, there is definitely, and that's a great description of it, that kind of musty, dusty, kind of old attic-y kind of grandma's house smell that definitely kind of permeates there, which uh, definitely makes it unique. Well, that's two questions down, which means we've reached our halfway point. Uh, If you like what you're hearing so far, head on over to thehubcrawl.com slash support and uh, become a patron over there. For as little as $5 a month, you get early access to episodes. You can join our Discord chat. You get uh, bonus content. You know, we always have a bonus question that we give just to our supporters. So if you think all of that sounds great, again, head on over to thehubcrawl.com slash support and sign up. All right. Thanks, Teg. Let's get back to the questions. And oh, goodness, it's Teg. Who's up? What do you have? What was the first Disney movie that you saw in the movie theater? Bryn. Bambi in the 1982 release. Um, I was going to say, you're not old enough for Bambi in the original. No, the the 82 release. It's one of my least favorite Disney animated movies because it was just scary little kid um also we went with a friend's family and the mom made us read the book before we went and that is not a book for second graders (laughs) Um, that is a book more geared to like high schoolers and adult people but i appreciate that she had high expectations of our literacy (laughs) what about you eric well i didn't look up the times but I remember seeing Bambi and Snow White in theaters very early in my life. So 82 is a little young for me to remember. So maybe it was Snow White's release. It was definitely re-release because, uh, yeah, uh, also not old enough to see these movies in the 30s and 40s. So, yeah, both stand out very clearly in my mind as early movie theater experiences, just like E.T., where my my (laughs) sister had to be escorted out of the theater, like, sobbing. (laughs) <laughs> when when E.T. wasn't doing great. Also an early theater experience. But yeah, it, it's still a good movie. Just, you know, it's emotional for kids. I think in the 80s, we had movies that were a little, little rougher. And before. That was the 80s, man. That was the 80s. Right, right. Yeah, every every movie, even, even like Short Circuit, had to have like, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> All right, Alex, what's your first theater experience with disney oh gosh um not to date myself but 
my first Disney movie that I remember is seeing Hercules in theaters, which was released in 1997. So I was only four years old then. So that's kind I of like what how I you're remember. worried about dating yourself, and you're clearly the youngest of the right. th- of the four oh, people no. on the panel. No, I don't want to brag or anything, but mm. um, Hercules is the one I remember the most because I remember all the commercials and especially the McDonald's promotions for Hercules. What about you, Tag? Hercules. Sorry. <laughs> the thing I remember about Hercules, I remember that, and I remember that they took the Main Street Electrical Parade to New York for the premiere of Hercules, and that was like a televised thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the parade that won't ever go away, and we're still, uh, years and years later, stuck with it. But anyway. Why uh, why would we want it to go away, Tag? We don't want it to go away. We want it to stay. It glowed away a long time ago. Thank you, No, no, no. We are in agreement on this. It it was supposed to glow away in like 96 or 97. Then they brought it back to DCA because it wasn't technically Disneyland, so it did technically glow away forever. But then they brought it back, and then it went away, and then they brought it back, and then it went away, and then they brought it back, and now it's here again. Bring back Paint the Night. Bring back something else. Bring back Magic Happens. Oh, yeah. Magic Happens didn't live long enough. Don't you have a light bulb peg from Electrical Light Print? I don't. Teresa does Teresa because does. it fell off of off of uh, uh, Elliot when we were there seeing the current incarnation of the thing. Wow. Although I will say, you and I have the same thing, Alex. I've got my uh, my dude right here and the and the cup. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> I was there the first day they released it. Ooh. You're always there for those lucky things. Uh, but my fir- back to the movies. My first movie that I remember seeing, and actually I think it was my first movie ever, was The Little Mermaid. And so that was what, like huh? 88, 89? So I was eight or nine years old. Or seven or eight, seven or eight years old. Not that old. And uh, yeah, I remember that. Although you guys were talking about scarier ones, I also remember being in the theater when Nightmare Before Christmas came out and my mom took me and I remember this lady getting so upset like five minutes into it because it was so dark, scary, different than they thought it was going to be. I mean, come on. It's called the Nightmare Before Christmas, lady. She grabbed her kid and left like, this is not a Christmas movie. This is not a children's movie. Well, yeah, it's a nightmare for Christmas. Uh, <laughs> the Little Mermaid was good, and I saw pretty much all of the Disney animated movies that came out after Little Mermaid in the theater. The last one I remember being very excited about when I was younger was Lion King. After Lion King, I didn't see many of the movies in the theater until later, and then it was mostly like Pixar. Lion, Lion King. King was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like in the theater, you would not have wanted to have missed that experience because that that opening. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Sorry was just wow there's just very few things if they re-release it to the theater and you're a listener of this show definitely go catch it if you can uh one of the things that i remember from lion king i don't have it here it's in my other bookshelf but uh there was a book they sold outside the theater of like the story of it or something and i bought that and i remember i owned all the toys i owned pride rock like it Lion King was a big thing in my household and my family and me. Uh, in fact, one of the youngest pictures I have of myself still is me standing in this Lion King shirt in front of a Lion King poster holding a Lion King stuffed animal uh, <laughs> in front of my bedroom door. And I was so skinny. It was crazy. Anyway, <laughs> another great round of discussion. Let's move on from the sadness of my beautiful youth to my whatever I am now. Uh, and our last question from Brid. So is... Disney a lifestyle brand? And if it is, is it a luxury lifestyle brand? 
What do you think, Eric? Ooh, yeah. Oh, we've, we've got some thoughts here. Wow. Um, I think it's definitely a lifestyle brand. Uh, I mean, so many people have built uh, built their fandom and their 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 lives around going to Disney parks and engaging with Disney content. There are cottage industries around Disney. There are companies that make ears, like our friends at All Enchanting Ears. There are people that make bags and all, all of these different people that make podcasts. Uh, but, gosh, yeah, podcasts. Tons of podcasts. Um, who would listen to those? Um, very niche. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. But it's it's such a huge industry that has built up around a giant corporation. Mm-hmm. So definitely lifestyle. But the luxury is interesting. I think over the last few years, we've seen some more extreme examples of it. A $5,000 cocktail with quotes around it. It's an experience. You get to go to Skywalker Ranch after you're done drinking these very expensive, very rare drinks on the Disney Wish. There is a $110,000 trip around the world to visit all the Disney parks and a few other you know places that Disney doesn't own, like uh, the, the Great Pyramids and, and things like that. The average Adventures by Disney trip, which all sound incredible, is $10,000 per person. People who have disposable income, they're no longer hiding in Club 33 anymore. That hidden place in the parks that you hear about, oh, there's a secret place where you can get alcohol in Disneyland. It's no longer this niche market. It's expanding. Luxury is around so many of these experiences that are out there now. Disney's broadcasting them. In the case of the $110,000 trip around the world, maybe they're not broadcasting it well. Maybe that's a little tone deaf to say at a time when there's a giant recession. Hey, uh, wealthy folk, you can travel the world. <laughs> you can afford this, right? Oh, good. We sold out of it before it ever actually became open to the average consumer. It sold out immediately. Right. Like, wow. It, some of these things are huge, and you can blame Bob Chapek for really jumping on this, but it's been happening forever. Ever since somebody said, wow, these people are waiting four hours to watch Fantasmic, they're putting out a blanket, and one person in the family is sitting on the riverside to stake out a claim for their family, somebody went, we could probably monetize this somehow. And that's been around for years. I, I can remember going to a hard ticket event, Mickey's Not So Scary uh, Halloween Party at Walt Disney World years ago, where I also paid for another hard ticket event within the hard ticket event for the Villain's Soiree. Where- hard ticket event Inception. Yes. What? What? Um, it, and we had a staked out spot for the parade where we got front row spots for the parade. We got to see everybody, you know, the whole the whole cavalcade moved by. Great experience. But then after it was done, we went inside Cinderella Castle. We went up to Cinderella's royal table and we had a dessert party where all of the villains came by. It was a massive character dessert party where we got to meet a whole bunch of Disney villains within like an hour. The entire thing was, was fantastic. It was such a memorable experience. And I wish I didn't have a, you know, junky iPhone like seven um, to record all of it. But, <laughs> but um, Bryn's like, Oh no, all the pictures, they're all so washed out. There are no pictures. Um, there's no video. How could you? I've sent you some pictures, but they're they're not great. No, they're not it, great. They're, like, so bad. they're still so that memory is so solid in my mind because I spent money on top of money to get into it. That's the luxury. It's not even the massive 
pile of money that is getting into Club 33. It's not the massive pile of money to go on a giant package tour around the world. Everything in Disney, if you have the cash, you can upgrade your experience. That's that's kind of the way things are going. Um, I'll step down off of Soapbox and, and cede the Soapbox to Alex. What do you think? Okay. So it honestly depends on how you do Disney. Um, for an example, would be people in California. If you're a resident of California and can just hop on over to Disney, you have a magic key. It can be, you know, just a lifestyle. You just go in, you ride a few rides, you have dinner there, just kind of like that. But people like, uh, for instance, Tag and I, who are from the Midwest, we have to plan months in advance, pay for airline, pay for the hotel. It becomes very expensive. When I mention to friends I'm going to Disney, they're like, wow, how can you afford to go once or twice a year? So it honestly just depends on how you do it. I mean, like you said, too, there's a package for everything. It's dining packages, special events. Um, so like I said, it honestly depends. If you're on a budget, you can go and just do the basic rides. But to me, I consider it a expensive hobby and lifestyle. I am the one who always has to do the dining packages, such as like the Fantasmic one. And by the way, have you seen Fantasmic yet, Eric? Oh, thanks for bringing that up, Alex. No, I have not. Oh, okay. I just, I haven't been on here before, so I thought I'd ask you real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it all depends how you look at it. Disney is a lifestyle. It can be luxury, especially with everything they can tack on. So yeah, what about you, Tag? Oh, man. Um, is Disney a lifestyle brand? Yes. I think that there are people out there that their life revolves around Disney. I'm not saying that I'm not this person because I feel like obviously I have two podcasts based on Disney. If anybody could see my video right now, I've got an entire three, four, technically you can't see it out of the camera, but four shelves of Disney stuff just behind me, plus more upstairs, uh, some stuff at Teresa's where we record the other podcast. So yes, like I don't think that I'm a top tier Disney lifestyle person. But there are people who everything they buy and own is Disney and everything they think about or enjoy is Disney. You know, my cell phone doesn't have a Disney phone case. I don't have a Disney background uh, on my phone. I don't, you know, I'm not crazy like that. But I think a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are, who buy the lounge flies, which are all very expensive, who buy all of the different ears, who buy all of the different limited edition merchandise. But when it comes to the experiences, especially in the parks and on the you know vacation kind of things, like Eric was saying with Adventures by Disney and this really expensive cocktail and this trip around the world to all the Disney parks, which by the way, sounds amazing. There was a YouTube video I saw that I think it was like, if you were to pay for this out of pocket for the same time frame and you stay in like the high end hotels that they're going to put everybody in, you could do it for like 60 grand cheaper than what Disney's charging uh, if you did it yourself. But you don't have the chartered plane that's private to this experience. You don't have the Disney magic of somebody like wandering you around and having that Disney experience. So maybe that's worth $60,000 for you. Uh, it's not for me. But uh, you know, and everything has extra costs now. You know, there's after hours tickets. You know, the Eric, you know, you got a little bit a dig there about the uh, about Fantasmic. So I will dig myself by saying hotel rooms of four or $500 a night, like uh, especially at Disneyland to stay in the Grand Californian or the Disneyland Hotel. Those are premium, expensive, lifestyle kind of luxury experiences, I would say. You know, character dining, 
Um, you know, now that you've got Genie Plus and Lightning Lanes and premium Lightning Lanes, and you have to pay to go on all of these different things. So I think that there's definitely a luxury aspect, and it does make the normal folk have a worse experience, I would say, especially with like Genie Plus and Lightning Lane, because, uh, and even with the dining packages, because you used to be able to go right up and sit right in the front middle. Well, you can't do that anymore because those end up being cordoned off for the for the dining package seating. So I think we're going through a phase. I hope it's a phase. I hope we come out of it. I know in the 90s, we went through a whole thing where there wasn't good maintenance and everything was a shop and hours were a thing, you know, all these different things. And we came out of it and it was great. So I think Disney is just kind of in an ebb and a flow. And right now we're kind of in an ebb, hopefully before a flow of kind of getting rid of some of these things further down. What do you think, Brand? I'm sure you had something in mind when you came up with this question, which I'm really excited to hear. I wanted to hear what you all thought. I think I had not considered Disney as a lifestyle brand. I thought of it as an entertainment company. And I was reading an article about the $5,000 cocktail that referred to Disney as a lifestyle brand. And that really got me to stop and think for a while. Got me thinking about, you know, what is Disney? Is Disney a company that makes movies and has theme parks? Well, they also sell all kinds of goods for your home and they have a cruise line and all sorts of other things. It's clearly much bigger than those entertainment components. So that was a real reframing time for me. But this idea of it being luxury, you know, it just kind of makes me sad. There's so many people who just won't ever get to do that. And I'm not saying that, you know, Disney needs to lower their prices so everyone has to go. I'm not trying to make that point. But when we build all these luxurious spaces in, that pushes everybody out. It already takes a lot of sacrifices for the average middle-class family to go to Disneyland at all or to Disney World. And with all of these extras built on to the base price, I really wonder at what point does that just become impossible? I think we're certainly past that point for a lot of folks, not to mention folks who don't have real solid sort of what you used to call middle-class families in this country that used to be the people that these parks were aimed at. I think right now Disney is aiming at higher income folks. And you know, everybody should enjoy Disney. I think that. I don't think that anybody is the wrong audience. But I want to see as many people as possible enjoy it. And I wonder when does it hit the point where the money they're making from these extras, because they're only going to sell so many $5,000 cocktails, so many dining extra dining packages, when does that become less than the money they'd make from all the people who can't get in or get pushed out because they don't think they can come at all during to those luxury experiences. I don't know. I'm not one of their economists. I know they have them and they're very good. Uh, I really would be very curious to know what they're telling Disney about that stuff. But Disney certainly seems to be continuing down this path and it's making a lot of fans unhappy, but they don't seem to be changing. I just like my ears to come with free embroidery again because we lost that a long time ago. Because, you know, it's kind of it's, it's nickel and diming in some places of losing things that used to be included and losing things that used to be free. In addition to adding all the big expensive things, it's everywhere. There's a bonus cost. And that's hard to do, especially when you're there on a budget and you've got kids who want to do everything and they see everybody else has that and they think, oh, I want to do that. And you're like, I have my budget on this. Then, you know, how are we going to budget for dinner? And, you know, it's it becomes an issue for people. And I just want to see everybody be able to join it. You know, I think I think one of the things, you brought up a good point, which I, I just kind of want to mention real quick, is 
I always look at that from a business standpoint too is do you want more people buying your product for a cheaper price or do you want less people buying your product for a higher <laughs> price? Because there is a balance there where things are pretty equal. For me, I think it's a good business decision in a lot of cases to sell to the most people you can because if you lose two or three of them, you're not losing a huge chunk of your income. So you can kind of, you know, it kind of spreads itself out. If there's a, uh, you know, if the economy goes dump and some portion of people can't afford it anymore, you're not losing a lot of that. Although I guess when you have, you know, people that have a lot of money, the top 1% people, even the economy crashing doesn't probably affect them and they can always afford to go. But I think that at least with the parks, one way that Disney should handle this, and I think that they're, what the, why they're charging so much is they have a theme park is a limited supply. You know, there's only so many people that could ever go into Disneyland or Disney World even, and there's only so much capacity per day at each attraction, etc. So what they need to do is they either need to raise prices to keep the stock growing, like, you know, all those people care about, or they need to build more capacity. And I feel like the way they should build capacity is build more parks elsewhere and put in those attractions because then you're making more supply so people can kind of be spread out. There's going to be the people that go to Disneyland. There's going to be the people that go to Disney World. I think they should build two more resorts in the U.S. And I think that that would alleviate some demand in the other two parks or the other two resorts and help. You know, you've got a lot of the overseas parks. You've got Paris. You've got Hong Kong. You've got Shanghai. Those kind of are doing okay because they kind of have a different demographic. I don't think those parks are the cultural phenomenon there. Well, Tokyo, perhaps. Uh, but not like they are here, and especially with social media and people having the fear of missing out and the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing that we have going on in our country. So having more parks, more attractions, and spreading those people out and giving more capacity, I think, is the right way to go. But for now, they're like, hey, we can just increase prices and not spend any money and still make a lot of money. So I don't know. I, I don't like it. But it is what they have chosen to do at the moment. Have you seen... Um I think it was, is it Hong Kong Disneyland that had the gold Cinderella castle that if you buy, you get a lifetime admission to the park? Yeah, yeah. I had it in a, in a D-180 at one point. I think it was Hong Kong. Yeah, you did. Yep. Crazy. Right. And I think, Tag, to your point, Capacity is a is a whole different bag. And from what I've heard from some insiders, it really the parks have a lower capacity right now than they did years ago because of the current state of attractions and, and everything. Uh, but what's interesting to me is I think Disney is currently trying to do both of what you're saying. It's trying to have as many people at the lower cost end mixed with as many people as they can at the higher price point. They're trying to play both games and the tone deaf nature of things is them saying, hey, everybody come to a Disney park, come enjoy, come make memories like you always have. But we also have this thing over here. We have this amazing experience that you can't afford. But if you really want to, you might be able to save up for it and you might be able to you might be able to reach it. It's it's weird right now for myself. If I were to go on most of the adventures by Disney trips that I would be interested in, that would mean probably not going to the parks for like two years. Like it, as far as my budget is concerned, I know I go to the parks more than most people do. And I'm comfortable with that. My family is comfortable with that. We, we have that worked out. 
And that's that's more than these parks were designed for and more than really the experiences were in initially intended. But I still look at these adventures by Disney destinations and I think, wow, that's so amazing. If I really just cut the habit <laughs> and didn't go to Disney parks for a couple of years, I could afford to go on this ridiculously expensive trip that's complete concierge. It's it's two Disney cast members escorting you through experiences you would never have been able to get to if you just went to that country and wandered around, potentially. At least that's the way it's sold. It's a lot. And, uh, you know, it's something that most people can't get to. I, I do quite well. We're, we're dinks. My, my wife and I are dinks. Double income, no kids. We do well for ourselves, and we still can't quite get that brass ring. And that's that's where Disney's going these days, it seems. And I can feel that pull. And I can only imagine what that feels like to the average American who doesn't have quite the same resources or would have to pay for, you know, the 2.5 kids to come with. And like that, that's a completely different equation for everybody else. And uh, who needs the second kidney? <laughs> I guess. Yes. Yes. Let's all sell one kidney. Because, uh, you know, as a medical professional, I can tell you that uh, there are plenty of people out there who need a kidney. I Sometimes I think that we learned the entirely wrong lesson from the Hunger Games books. <laughs> we, we all decided we wanted to live in the capital. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Eric, if unless Alex, do you have anything you want to add to the dystopian nightmare of Disney? <laughs> I mean, I don't really. I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. So um, I really wish they would make things a little bit more affordable. The only thing that I just hate that they keep doing is bringing out these more expensive things you can do. Because, I mean, I'm a huge Disney fan. One one of the reasons why I'm moving out to California is to be closer to Disneyland and trying to save up for that move and save up for going to Disneyland more often. But then they just keep throwing all this stuff. So... Like I said, I agree with all of you guys. I just wish they'd make things a little bit cheaper and just more accessible to everybody. And you still can do it. You can go to the parks and you don't have to buy all the extras. You don't have to do the lightning lane and the genies. You can do it and you can bring in your picnic lunch and you can have a heck of a good time. It is still possible to do and really enjoy yourself. Maybe take it a little slower and not do everything. It's one of the great things about Disney is that they're... You go in and you don't have to buy a book of tickets for the rides. It's all part of that one ticket. I remember, didn't any of you go to Disney parks back in the old book ticket book system? It was annoying. I think I was like two when they got yeah. rid of them. I'm sorry, Bryn. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, my grandparents. And Alex was four in 97, so definitely. Yeah, yeah. Not. <laughs> I, my grandparents lived in the area. Lots of people came and visited them, went to Disneyland, and then left them with their tickets. So, we could get in pretty cheaply and they had all these leftover tickets, which was great. But this is better because once you get that initial ticket in, well, you don't need a ticket to go over to Tom Sawyer Island and have a blast running around. And there aren't any lines and there's so many experiences like that. So, I mean, Oh yeah. And bringing a little bit of bringing some food with you, even, even just prioritizing a quick service meal or a quick, a bite at a kiosk, you can get in and out of a Disney park without spending. You, you can, you can spend 20 bucks 
uh, for a day. It's it's crazy, but I know people that have done it. It's crazy to think about. But yeah, I know people that have done that and they prioritize, no, I, I'm paying for the park ticket and that's about as much as I'm willing to pay. You can yeah, do you it. Have to be, you have to be really disciplined if you have kids and mm-hmm. you have to make sure that they understand like this is your, we're getting one treat today or you know, we're going to get one souvenir during our week. So make sure you keep an eye out and choose carefully. So we're not mm-hmm. going to get lots of things. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I, I didn't bring this up to try to be a downer about the parks because I love them. They're just so good at marketing, too. What gets me is the merch. Packing for this move has made me realize how bad it is for me. I have probably packed, I'm not kidding, probably five of those big rubber bins full of just merch. And that's not including my Haunted Mansion display case. So they, I'm just, I just love the merch and that's because when I can go to the parks, I look the at the merch and just relive the memories. So that's what gets me. You know, it, it comes down to everybody's got, everybody has something that they really enjoy in their life. Or I would say most people, the, the vast majority, I would guess. They have something that, that they do. For me, like, obviously, I like Disney and all of that good stuff, but I'm a huge tech nerd. So, like, I spend an astronomical amount of money that I sometimes don't have on technology because I love it. It makes me happy to have the new thing and play with things and whatever. And for some people, that's Disney. Alex, I would argue that that's kind of your thing. You want to buy the merch. You want to have the collection. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think the other part of this lifestyle conversation that we should have, too, I mean, I don't want to drag this on longer, but I just want to quickly say that there's a lot of people out there that judge Disney fans and judge Disney Parks fans because that's a kid's thing. Why are you into this kid's thing? Um, especially, Especially people like what three th- Bryn, do you have, you have kids i do yeah 11 okay eight. three of the four of us don't have any children and we love disney and people get you. so caught up in you don't even have any children why are you going to a disney park like what's wrong with you and it's like you know what everybody has their thing that they enjoy let people enjoy what they want to enjoy who cares because it's more fun without kids you're going because it's more fun without kids. Maybe. <laughs> One of my favorite shirts that I wear at the park that everyone always comments on is a shirt that says happiest childless millennial mm. on earth. Well, that was a whole thing a couple of years ago was these childless millennials. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Disney loves childless millennials because they're just there spending money <laughs> on the expensive stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Guilty. All right. This has been this has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm having a great time. <laughs> Thankfully, we have a little bit more time. If you are a patron of our show, if you support us at the $5 a month amount, you can listen to more of this discussion. Um, And we have another question. Speaking of dystopian futures, how will we fix Tomorrowland? That's the question (laughs) we're going to get to in the next few minutes here after we finish this show. But um, if you're not a, a patron, I'm sorry. Uh, we're, we're, we're drawing it to a close right now. So that does it for this episode of The Hub Crawl. Thank you for joining us, Bryn. Thanks for having me. It's a lot more fun than riding the Matterhorn. <laughs> you know, people really dig on the Matterhorn, but, you know, teach their own. I look at it like a free chiropractor. Yep. Uh, and Alex, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on and allowing me to geek out about Disney. And, of course, I love talking about the Haunted Mansion. Well, thanks for talking about the Haunted Mansion. Everybody else, join us next time where we will continue to talk all things Disney. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 